Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. On today's show, we'll be talking about management consulting. Now, we've already covered this area once in our earlier episode. It was episode number three with Rahul Mangla, who is a consultant with McKinsey and Company. But I do think that if you're interested in a certain job or a certain career, it helps to talk to multiple people who have experience with that job, but come from different backgrounds, who have worked in different companies, and that just helps paint a more wholesome picture of what that job is all about. So on today's show, our guest is Gyo Koiko. She prefers to be referred to as simply Ko, so that's what I'll be referring to her as today. Ko is a consultant with AT Carney. Now, interestingly enough, AT Carney has its roots in McKinsey and Company. So it seems that in 1926, James McKinsey started McKinsey and Company in Chicago, and Andrew Thomas Carney or AT Carney was the first partner to be hired in this firm. This I'm quoting from Wikipedia, my trusted resource. Uh, Long story short, it seems that after some time, James McKinsey left to do something else. And as of today, we see two different firms, one called McKinsey and the other called A.T. Carney. A.T. Carney, again, is a reputed management consulting firm and it gets consistently ranked among the top consulting firms globally. Coming to Co herself, she is originally from Malaysia, although she moved to the U.S. at a pretty young age. She has a bachelor's in material science and economics from Northwestern University, after which she joined A.T. Carney as a business analyst. Due to her exceptional performance as an analyst, Co was then accepted in a program at A.T. Carney, where the firm agreed to sponsor her MBA if she decided to come back to the firm after completing her MBA. So that's what Co did. She got her MBA from the Kellogg School of Management, And as of today, she has more than five years of experience in the space. So on today's show, Ko is going to be sharing a lot of details with us to help us understand what working in management consulting is all about. Also, we'll be going deeper into areas which we could not cover in a lot of detail in our earlier episode. So we'll be going into more detail into each of the roles that you can expect to find in a consulting firm, especially the analyst role, because that's how Ko started out. And we'll also go into more detail around recruiting. So how do you apply for a job in a consulting firm? What kind of interviews can you expect at a consulting firm? How do you prepare for them? Stuff like that. So without further ado, let's switch over to Ko. Hey Ko, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Great, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. So... You were in Malaysia right now, right? Weren't you on vacation? Yeah, I just came back from Malaysia and Indonesia and Singapore, actually, because I was traveling for weddings back there. Oh, awesome. I really want to go to Southeast Asia at some point, at least. I haven't really traveled in Asia. Yeah, well, you should get started with Singapore because um, it's an easy city to uh, visit and then you can branch out to different islands around there. I'll be happy to give you some tips on where to go oh yeah like what would you recommend top three things to do let's say in singapore uh well singapore is a garden city so 
I would say a lot of things that you do there are generally very safe. Communication is not a problem. Um, transportation and logistics not a problem. But the things to do there, generally people go there for shopping, for the food for sure, and oh, then good. there are a few museums slash unique experiences of Singapore that you can try out. They have the night safaris. They have what they call the giant trees or super trees that you can go and experience the different. Oh really? What's, what's a super tree? Um, you can essentially go visit the super trees where inside, I think you get an experience of what the rainforest is like and the different layers of it. So it's a miniature rainforest experience. So you can go in and see what other plants oh, nice. are out there. How does it feel? What's the humidity? What does the rain waterfall feels like? Things like oh, that. Oh, that it's sounds great. Yeah, interesting experience. Is there like a good time to be visiting no. Singapore? Summer all year. Oh, good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the <laughs> nice weather ones. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll put that on my list of countries to go to. Singapore is a country, right? Yes. Is Singapore a country or a city? Like, oh my god, okay, I'm sure it's my... both a country and a city. I, I think it's too small to have a state, but yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, it's one of those confusing ones. Anyway. All right, so let's get to consulting. So I was thinking that before we start talking about your job itself, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your career path so far. Yeah, absolutely. As you have covered in your introduction, I came from Malaysia and did my undergrad at Northwestern University, graduated with material science and economics degrees. And in 2007, I've decided to join A.T. Kearney in their Chicago office as a business analyst. Mm-hmm. And then since then, I have worked in various different countries because my sole purpose, one of my goals in joining consulting is to experience working in different geographies and cultures and kind of look at how companies do their businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I grew through the rank from an analyst to then a senior business analyst and then an associate. And at that time, I was thinking, well, this might be a good time for me to take a little break from consulting and kind of look at what else is out there and what other skills can I learn in an academic setting. And so I enrolled in Kellogg School of Management 2011, graduated 2013, and decided to join consulting again back at AT Kearney, but this time with the San Francisco office, and I've been with the firm since then. Okay, great. Yeah, so a couple of questions around that. So you said that you did your undergrad in material science, right? Yes, and economics. Material science and economics. So at that time, what made you interested in consulting? Great question. So originally, I was only going to do material science. And then I realized that after having worked many, many hours in labs that, you know, this might not be the kind of life I want for myself after graduation. And I have begun to take a few econ classes, and I really enjoy them. So decided to double major them. But what do I do with double major in two unrelated fields? I wasn't sure then. So I was exploring, I was talking to different people. And for some reason, by a stroke of fate, I formed a random group of people whom we kind of know each other, but we didn't quite. And then we participated in a case challenge, and it was organized by A.T. Carney. This was in school? This was when I was a, I think I was a junior at that time. Okay. And then got to know people from A.T. Carney fairly well. Really enjoyed talking to them about their experiences while at A.T. Kearney. 
and ultimately I started exploring consulting as a potential career path and that's how I more or less ended up at AT Kearney. Honestly, in some sense, I actually don't quite know what I wanted to do. And then consulting kind of presented itself as a potential opportunity for me to continue exploring the different industries, the different job opportunities that are out there and help me build the skills I need. Right. So you bring up some great points. First, just to clarify, what is a case challenge? So a case challenge typically is a setting where you're presented with a problem, which might mimic what you would get as a consultant yourself. So a business problem faced by a company. And then your task or the challenge is for you to solve the problem or at least propose a structure in which you're trying to find a solution for the company. And then via a series of, I would say, analysis, interviews, etc., that is simulated by the case creator. So typically, these case challenges are sponsored by consulting firms. For example, right now, AT Kearney still run the global, global Prize, we call it, where we do case challenges across different schools at a global level. So are these case challenges only for schools, or can you also take part in them if you're not currently in school? My understanding is typically you have to be enrolled in a particular school and then you sign up with your fellow students in a group of three or four in order to participate. Got it. So can you, if you recall, what was the case challenge that you took? I have no recollection of it. (laughs) Well, maybe you can give an example just to give listeners an idea of what is a case challenge? What is this problem that a firm asked you to solve, consulting firm asked you to solve? I see. Um, Let me give it a thought. So... One example could be that there's a company with a maybe a wide variety of portfolios of different sugar products that they have, and they're thinking of acquiring another company, which might have complementary product sets in the chocolate industry, for example. So what your team might be presented to solve is how should the parent company go about assessing the potential for the acquisition? What are the things that you would look for in assessing this compatibility, how much would you pay for it, what are the risks involved, etc., etc. So these are the things that we will look at as we assess the case. So that's one angle. The other angle is what are the numbers associated with it, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you might be presented with database of maybe sales um, information over the years, etc., that you have to come up with some sort of analysis to kind of justify the go-ahead or the name I see the purchase and of course the third aspect of the assessment would be like oh can your team actually put together a cohesive presentation that's persuasive enough for the audience and can you stand up there in front of the audience and make a compelling argument for one way or the other right so it really tries to mimic what you might do as an actual real life management consultant bingo okay so This is great because what you're saying is that this case challenge sort of introduced you to consulting. Yes. And you realized that you you found the work interesting. Yes. So I found the process interesting for myself because, as I mentioned, the group that got together, we weren't close friends or roommates or whatever it is. We kind of know each other. We were acquaintances. But through that process, we got to know each other much better. And we have to quickly adapt to the ways of workings of different people because we still have our regular school responsibilities. But at the same time, we have to dedicate a good chunk of time 
effort in getting this together. And so I think that was my first taste on how consulting could shape up to be like um, in terms of learning about working styles, learning about how to work with people you might not necessarily know very well and putting things together that is cohesive and persuasive for the audience. So when you were in school, uh, was AD Carney the only company that was organizing this case challenge or were there other case challenges also? I think that there were, there were other firms, but I think that this was the only challenge that I came across because I wasn't actively looking right, for it. Right. I think one of the team members approached me and that's how I got to know this. Yeah, that's what happens and in on school. A whim, yeah. yeah, and on a whim, um, I decided to join. Because I think what I'm trying to ask is that, so the case challenge process made you interested in consulting. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are a lot of people who once having decided that, okay, I want to do consulting. The next question is, okay, now which firm? So mm-hmm. how do you decide amongst the different firms? So first of all, is there even a difference or are they all pretty much the same? And if they're not the same, how do you choose one firm over the other? Right. There are other firms out there for sure. For me personally, after I did the case challenge, I started getting interested in consulting and I started recruiting in consulting. And that's when I started to get to know other companies, Deloitte, BCG, McKinsey, Bain, etc. What I realized through that process is finding a consulting firm that you would be happy working at is almost the same as you trying to apply to different schools, right? Whether it is MBA or um, undergrad, you visit the schools. You try to talk to people who are actually in the school to get a sense of what the culture is like, how are the people over there, whatever it is. So I think it's the same process. You have to find a firm that actually matches with your personality in terms of what you're looking for in a firm. It's pretty different. Um, You can easily distinguish the different firms. Um, I would highly encourage you to go out there and kind of talk to different people who are actually working there or even alumni, network, get to know them from across the strata. So people who are analysts, associates or managers, partners, talk to them, get a sense of, is this the person that I would be happy spending time with at two in the morning when you have to finish a pitch deck, for example. Mm -hmm. So you actually spent a lot of time in school talking to people from different firms. Yeah, during recruiting season, I'll go to all events that they organize. So this includes coffee chats, networking events at schools. I think that they have career fairs. You go there and talk to people, get their business cards, email them, thank you notes. And these days it's much easier because you have LinkedIn. Try to email people that you want to talk to. Give them a call. I think a lot of people are open to talking and sharing their experience. Mm -hmm. At least when I was an undergrad, I was a little bit shy about approaching strangers. But this is part of the thing that you have to go through in order for you to really assess whether or not this is the company that you would like to work with. And I I realize that we are probably jumping the gun that we're we're talking about recruiting before we even talk about the job. But I think this is an important point. Mm -hmm. What are the kind of... Because you're saying that you know it's important to sort of assess the personality fit mm-hmm. with the company, right? How do you do that? What kind of questions can help you figure that out? So I typically like to start off by asking their experience at the firm. Mm-hmm. And you can typically tell if they really enjoy what they do or are they miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember talking to an AT Carney partner, for instance, about his experience at the firm. He was a partner at that time. He was telling me about this 
crazy experience up in the North Pole or somewhere where he has to go through 10 layers of security to get into the diamond mining place in order for him to, to get a sense on how the supply chain of diamonds is, is, is being um, structured or run. So I, I find that fascinating because when he was talking about it, he wasn't just offering me the detail. You can see that his, li his eyes light up and he was talking about it with so much passion and energy. So that is something that struck me as, hey, you know, there's a very big difference about people who kind of just talk about the process and the projects that they're going through versus people who are actually really interested and almost invested in what they do. Right. I can also talk to about, oh, I also talked to another partner who shared his, his personal quirk on how he brought consulting outside of work where everything he sees is an opportunity to be improved, like the lines at Chipotle or the taxi's way of running their costs, etc. All these things that he said get on the nerves of his, of his wife. But you know, these are the things that showcase how passionate someone is about their job. And for me, that really makes a difference between one firm versus another right, in terms right, of the people. Right. No, that's great because that is a question I think that bothers a lot of people that how do I decide between mm -hmm. firms? So... Apart from just the fit with people, is there anything else that people should be considering? I'll say people, it ranks at the top, whether or not you can work well with this person. The other thing you should consider is whether or not you want your experience to be in a larger firm or a smaller firm. This is important because as a consultant, unless you go in with a very specific and concrete objective of going into energy, for example, or going into retail, you would want to experience the full consulting experience. So if you want to experience transportation, logistics, you want to experience what it's like to work on a tourism project or a government project, these various array of projects came about more easily in a smaller firm, in my personal opinion, because the connection is more fuzzy. Like you can talk to partners who are in transportation as easily as you can talk to a partner who specializes in retail, for example. Uh, so there are more opportunity for you to move. There's more fluidity moving from one project to the other. If you're a generalist and would like to experience working in different industries. Oh, I see. Okay, this is a great point. So what you're saying is that when you join a firm, usually you can either be a generalist, which from what you're describing sounds like you can work on a project in any industry. Mm -hmm. Or you could be specializing in certain areas. Mm -hmm. And in a smaller firm, it's probably easier to work on projects across different industries and topics. Yes. Okay. All right. Exactly. Great. So I think now we'll want to understand your role a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you started, you joined as an analyst. Yes. Right. So I think it'll be helpful if you can talk about what is management consulting. And then in that context, the different roles that you see in a management consulting firm. And then, of course, we can go into details on each of those roles. Right. So I would view management consulting, in a nutshell, is someone who goes in to give advice to a business or a corporation. And these advice doesn't come about easily because you need to have a clear understanding of the problem. You need to structure what the problem is about. And then you go about solving it based on interviews, data, etc., etc. So you have to break the problem down into bite-sized pieces and then solve them. And then after that, you put that together and you provide a recommendation to the client. 
when I first started as an analyst, my role is more concrete within a certain team. So I typically get the responsibility to do analytical work. So Excel and PowerPoint are two of my best friends. That is in a more typical setting. I think my experience sometimes is a little bit more atypical. When I started as an analyst, I was also sent to different countries by myself to actually run interviews, to do mystery shopping, and then to oh, structure awesome. all the problems by myself, and then provide an internal recommendation to my manager. We would then discuss on how we would then present it to the CEO, etc. So generally speaking, as an analyst, your role is to do analysis and to create PowerPoints. But depending on the need of the project and your appetite for a larger, more influential role, you also get to do more on the hypothesis testing, problem structuring, client relationship building type work as well. And this becomes more true as you progress across the rank. So as you graduate into senior business analyst and then you graduate into an associate and a manager, you get to do more of the client management side of things where you have to do change management to make sure that there is no issue in accepting the recommendation or to surface any human relations issues that might be out there, etc. And then as you continue moving up the rank, there's a switch towards more on, hey, how do you identify more opportunities to help the client? The C-level type conversations to have what are the other things that are interrelated to the current project that we're currently doing that we can help them out with and things like that. So it, it transformed from purely analytical work towards more and more relationship building and I see. Um, change management type work. I see. Okay. Now that's super helpful. Coming to your analyst role first. Mm-hmm. So as I understand, you were doing so well as an analyst that AD Carney accepted you in their program where they sponsor your MBA. I wouldn't say I did so well. <laughs> <laughs> well you, know, you have to be modest about it. Um, so what do you think makes an exceptional analyst? So I would say analysts, associates, etc., all the attributes that you need to demonstrate are pretty much the same across the consulting world. This will include the very basic capabilities you need to have are, you know, the analytical part. Are you a strong thinker from the perspective of problem solving? And then the second piece is around emotional intelligence. Are you able to communicate well depending on the audience? Are you able to do, are you able to push for a certain agenda and tailor that based on your clients as well as audience? And then I'll say the third piece that is equally important is firm building. Are you also contributing to the firm? What I mean by that is in the past, I was a fairly active in, in recruiting team for AT Kearney. So I will go on campus, I'll talk to students, I'll try to put AT Kearney's name forward, etc. So what are the activities that you do outside of your project work that continue to build the brand of AT Kearney? And I would say The fourth thing that is also important is support from partners of the project that I've worked on. Have the leadership seen myself as a strong contributor to the team? Does he think that I have potential to continue forward as a a consultant in the firm, etc.? So I think 
generally speaking, these are the four things that the firm will try to take That's a look a lot, at. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So strong analytical thinking, then relationship skills, emotional intelligence, emotional, right, yes. right, and then contributing to the firm, so firm building, yes, and then support from partners, yes, absolutely, okay, okay. and you were able to demonstrate that when you were right out of your undergrad at that time, right? It took me a few years. <laughs> I think generally people start applying for schools and then applying for the scholars program, as we call it at AT Carney, around the three year mark. Around the three year mark. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right, this is great. This was the analyst role, right? Mm-hmm. So I think what will be helpful is if you can walk us through maybe a typical project and right from the start when, how does a project even start? And then what is the process followed to complete the project? And how do those different roles come in as you're sort of, you know, working through different stages of the project till the end? Because I think that will really help put the roles in context. Yes, you ask very tough questions. <laughs> um, so the reason I said it's a tough question is because there's no typical project, at least from my experience. It really varies greatly. So my typical length of project, for example, varies from 5 to 12 weeks to my most recent project of 18 months. Oh, so, wow. So yeah. in these contexts, you know, it's... Each project will be structured differently. But I would say what remains pretty much standard across projects are the beginning, the middle, and the end. So the beginning is when you have a team. Typically, you have a partner, you have a manager, and associate or analyst on a team. And you'll be there day one. And what you will typically have is a proposal that all the materials that have been communicated with the client, so things like proposal, that help us win the project, and then some of the initial work that has been done leading up to day one of your project, right? So your ideally, your manager will sit you down, talk you through the genesis of the project, and then what you aspire to accomplish from the project. What are the specific deliverables? What are the timeline? And then who are the clients that you're going to talk with? Just to clarify one, what is a proposal? So a proposal is something that the partner, as well as other consultants, put together to provide to the client before they sign on to our service. So it's a proposal on, hey, here's how we're going to solve the problem, here's how we see your problem, and here are the deliverables you're going to get. And then there's a few back and forth at the leadership level. I would generally say the partner or the principal Mm -hmm. with the um, client team and then they will come to a certain agreement and they will sign a contract. I see. Which is usually the statement of work. And your manager should usually provide that to you as well so that you get a clear understanding of what's involved. Oh, so even the junior level is like an analyst or an associate can see that contract that's been signed with the client. The statement of work is generally what it is because over there is very clearly depicted, you know, what are the deliverables. Okay. So there you have it. The managers will try to get you up to speed, the overall project goal. And then frequently you have a kickoff meeting with the client team where you introduce each other in terms of the members you work with, in terms of here, the timeline again, just to make sure everyone is on the same page. And then the project starts. So that's the beginning part. And as you make progress through the project, you arrive at the middle part. This is where a lot of the magic happens. You go interview with, talk to people, 
you get interview notes, you get a lot of data, and then you do analysis on it. You go to different workshops to continue refining what your findings are. Um, and can you also, sorry not to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. as you're describing this process, can you also talk about the different activities that people in different roles might be doing? Oh, yeah, sure, phase, sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, I can give a typical right, dif- right. role difference, but it's not really always the case. So you have workshops, you have interviews, you have data analysis. Sometimes you have midpoint meetings to make sure that you're all again on the same page and you're marching with the same tune. These are some typical things you may do. And then throughout this process, generally speaking, if a team has an analyst, an associate, and a manager, for example, the analyst, again, would do a lot of the analytical work because the expectation is that the analyst is the pro working with numbers and working with large amount of data. And then the associate and the manager would typically tag team in making sure that the output from the analysis answers the hypothesis or provides support for it and start structuring the storyboard on, hey, what is the story we need to tell the client pertaining to the problem and how do we solve it? That more or less is what is being done as a team. So typically we work very cohesively. I would have to say that sometimes the role is kind of blurred, but within a certain project, typically the analyst will own the model if there's one. By model, you mean the Excel model? The Excel model, or if there's like a financial model, whatever it is, typically that is what happens. It is not always the case because I remember being on projects where I have no models at all and all I have is primary interviews with people and working with them on that. And then above the manager, you have partners and principals who may be on the project full-time but who may actually also just appear in the project team maybe once or twice a week. The role of a partner and a principal typically veer more towards client relationship management. They will come to us with more information around the direction or if there's any refinement needed in our deliverables, etc. That's helpful. So to the extent that you can share, what are the kind of questions that a client may have during this process? So for, as you're saying that a partner and principal might be spending more of their time on client relationship as opposed to like an analyst who's actually doing the analysis. Mm -hmm. So what are the kind of things that they're discussing with the client? Generally, once you have a little bit of insight on what the analysis reveal, the partner might confer with the client at his level on here are some of our initial findings. What are your thoughts on these? If there might be a different angle that we should look at this problem. This is just to make sure that we're always marching in a, as a cohesive group and that there will be no surprises at the end. So during this entire process, are you how are you working with the client? So what I'm asking is, are you sort of uh, spending a lot of time with the client? Are you spending uh, your time on phone calls with them? Are you actually in the client's office? How does it work? So as a consultant, in a typical project, the consultant will be on client site on Monday late morning because you have to fly to a certain location, for example, depending on where your client's office is located. And then you'll be there from Monday through after lunch, Thursday, I would say. And then you'll fly back to your hometown and then you'll work remotely on Friday. And then the process repeats itself. This is more of a typical setting. 
sometimes you may be able to fly back earlier or fly back on Friday, depending on the needs of the project. Okay, okay. On a typical project, you get those four days at the client side when you can actually work with them face to face or yes. phone calls. Or... Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Sometimes we do have to get on phone calls with them, but that's right. if they're in another country and you're in a crunch time and things right. like that. Right. Um, generally speaking, the reason we want to be on client side is so that we can work side by side with them, exactly. and that goes back to you know being collaborative with the client, etc. Right, right. So, is there something like a typical day for a management consultant? It's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> I can give you maybe fifty different typical days that I've experienced. <laughs> Um, well, you will wake up at around 5 a.m. on Monday morning. You will try to catch the 6.30 or 7 a.m. flight to wherever your client is. For the sake of argument, let's say your client's located in Miami. So you fly to Miami, you get there by noon, um, you grab a quick lunch, but you have an internal team discussions because your teammate might be flying in from different locations as well on the accomplishment of last week, what are you trying to do this week, and what are your challenges, etc., you get that structured out, and then you go about doing your own individual things. And this could include meeting your client to discuss about the progress made or what you're trying to do the current week, and then challenges you have, etc. And then you continue building on the analysis, right. um, whatever you need to do at the client site for that week. And then the same for Tuesday, same for Wednesday. You know, you get on phone calls, you get in meetings, you build decks. You refine your model, you get in call touch point with partners, or you have calls with experts from the industries, etc. Then come Thursday, you get a last check with your team before you all leave for your home offices. And then on Friday, everyone works remotely. So they work from their sort of their consulting office? Yes, wherever they come from. Okay. That okay. would be a fairly typical week. Um, I would say that more and more, there is a trend towards more flexibility. So let's say the destination of the client site is really far. You may talk to your project manager or project partner on how do you factor in work-life balance in this case, right? Because in the past, I would have to take like a 10 a.m. Sunday morning flight to Miami from San Francisco or to take a red eye on Sunday evening to make make sure that I get to Miami on time, neither of which is a great option for me. In my personal life but these days there are project teams that are like okay let's work full day monday mm-hmm. and then at night take the flight out to miami chicago where you wherever you need to be and then you have full day on tuesday and wednesday and then half a day on thursday before you fly back so there are a lot of different options out there that different teams are working with that i feel are more sustainable okay that's great, yeah, because I can imagine that traveling on a Sunday night is probably not something you want to do uh, very regularly, yeah. No, not even if uh, I'm flying to Miami. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope that you guys get some time to explore the city to you when you're traveling. Yeah, I try to build that in. So as I mentioned, when I was an undergrad, my goal was to work in as many different locations as I can. So far, I've worked in 18 different countries wow. while with AT Kearney. So, is, is that a typical uh, number uh, for consultants with your... It might not be a typical experience, okay. um, but in a way, I kind of made it happen because I, w- I really loved working in different cultures and trying to see how people do businesses in other locations. 
So in that case, for example, if I was on an assignment in Rome, I would take the time. Off. Yeah, over the weekend to walk being around. Being on an assignment in Rome, I would love to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fairly good. I mean, there was even a period of time where I didn't see my apartment for 10 months. Wow. <laughs> But I enjoyed every moment of yeah, it. Yeah, I can imagine. How easy is it to work on a project in a different country, in a consulting firm? Great question. So at AT Kearney, at least, we have a formal program in place called the Global Mobility Program where you can, um, after two years of good performance, sign on, try to get a project in Australia or you know, transfer there, whatever it may be. So there is the formal route of you know, getting on a program. There are also staffing availabilities. Sometimes um, we receive emails from staffing managers saying, hey, an opportunity just came up for an associate with these specific skills in UAE, for example. Let me know oh, if you're well, interested. Okay. Okay. So people can sign up for that as well. More frequently, though, in my own personal experience at least, I was on projects where it is based in the U.S., but with international elements to it. So typically, you, you work at inter multinationals, which might have branches across the world that you might need to work with in order to get that project right. going. And so you right. ended up traveling as part of the project. Right, right. So you bring up another good point. How are people assigned slash staffed on projects? What is the criteria? Generally speaking, it depends on your set of capabilities and what you're looking to achieve. So on day one, as a business analyst or as an associate, for example, you come in, you have your resume on a staffing profile. You will talk to the staffing manager about what you're looking for in terms of industry you would like to focus on or a certain function that you want to work on. And then you also work with your mentor to see if there are any projects of that sort that you're looking for out there. So once that is done, the staffing manager typically is able to then brand you as a certain person with certain capabilities. And if the partners sell a project, he will reach out to the staffing manager saying, hey, you know, I need someone who has extensive high-tech experience in bringing a product to market. Do you have anyone like that? And the staffing manager will be like, oh yeah, Sonali is available. She used to work at Microsoft. Why don't you talk to her? So the partner will then call Sonali. He'll be like, well, I have this great opportunity. You know, we're looking for an associate who has all these background. What do you want to do and what are you looking to achieve, right? Okay, so it's a, is it a two-way conversation then? It's generally a two-way conversation. It is just so that people who have the right background and the right development needs can be fitted into uh, okay okay so it's a combination project. of the requirements that a project has and then of course whether a certain quote-unquote resource for for lack of a, for lack of a yeah, better yeah. word whether that person wants to be on that project or it, it fits with what they want to be doing over a certain period of time yes so that is you when you first started on at the firm right over time you build a certain reputation for yourself maybe you build a certain niche for yourself Or maybe you work with partners that you really enjoy working with. And then staffing then happens slightly more informally at times. So the partners might be selling a project that he knows you'll be a great fit for and talk directly to you without involving the staffing manager. And then you'll be like, oh, yes, maybe no, things like that. Okay. That's how staffing also occurs. So your personal relationships at your firm are also a key element of you getting staffed on various projects. Yes. Okay. All right, this is great, Ko. I think 
this definitely paints a fairly comprehensive picture of the role itself. So in your opinion, what are the most interesting aspects of consulting or working in consulting? For me, what's most interesting about it is the learning curve. Every time you're on a project, in a way, you learn a lot of things from zero. Even if you have great experiences within the industry or within the certain function that you're working for, you still need to learn about the client. What has been their trajectory? What are they struggling with? You know, all these different elements come into play. So you really need to get up to speed really, really fast. So that's one element, the learning curve. The other piece of it is meeting and working with different people. I think we talked about this earlier on where, you know, I really like the environment where you tend to learn about different working styles, etc. This continues to be true, not even just within your own internal team, but with the client team. Mm, that's um, a good point, yeah. Uh, I've had, uh, I was working in Vietnam one time and then um, I managed to persuade a client to go on a pedicure trip with me and he is this six feet two tall Indian guy. Um, so, An Indian guy? Yeah, yes. well, that's strange anyway. Yes. <laughs> yes, so it's like, you know, because you're all in it together, you all have to go through a certain thing to get the project. You have a certain objective that you have to achieve together and that kind of built an instant camaraderie and you have to work through like different working styles etc you learn about people that to me was great and the third piece that was quite great about consulting is also around being put in an ambiguous situation and try to find your way out of it with the client and with the team right right so would you say that i mean that, that's a great list what kind of person do you think would um would really excel at those. So going off base on that list, um, I think a person who has great analytical skills, so that's a, the basic thing that you should have, intellectual curiosity, right? So we don't quite only look at people who have engineering backgrounds or business background to hire. We hire across the spectrum as long as you demonstrate an ability to learn quickly and to be able to think through a problem or structured problem creatively or logically. So that's one. Second piece is again emotional intelligence. Someone who can be quick to understand and empathize with the pains of the client, for example, or to know when to to know how to work well in a team, for example, be collaborative, etc. So emotional intelligence is critical. And I think the third piece is really the ability to be very adaptable and resourceful in different situations. I remember four months into working as an analyst, I was sent to Vietnam to do a work. The partner of the project was walking through the deliverables objectives of the project with me and I was asking him, great, that's great. So what time is your flight tomorrow? I'll just sync up my flight with you. And he looked at me incredulously and said, I'm not going. You're going there by yourself. And I was like, well, you trust a four-month-old consultant to fly to Vietnam by herself and to solve this problem. And, you know, ultimately I did it. And it was a great experience because you get thrown into the deep end and you learn how to solve a problem very quickly like that. I think it was a great introduction yeah. to consulting for me. That's a, it's a very interesting point because I hear a lot about this from consultants that you have someone who is 
you know, a few months in your case out of undergrad and you are now advising someone who's fairly senior in a company, he or she has spent maybe 10 years, 15 years, 20 years working in that field and now you're advising them, right? How do you do that? How do you establish your, I mean, actually, yeah, how do you do that? So you don't do that alone. That's for sure. The reason he was confident in, in this specific case, the reason he was confident in sending me there is because he got me up to speed on all the preps I need to know. And he knew that I had the background and ability to execute to it. I might not have the experience, but I have the knowledge to do it. And as someone who is new in a certain industry, the team is not going to let you go and flail and you know try to figure out yourself. They will always be there. So I have daily call with the project manager in which we talk through all the findings I have and kind of brainstorm on different hypotheses, etc. Right. So you have a team with you to help you through that process of learning because partners and principals and even managers generally have very specialized knowledge on a certain industry and all you need to do is ask and you can get the help you need. Okay. Has it happened that as a consultant or a fairly junior consultant, let's say you're not brand new. I mean, I'm sure that when you're brand new or a few months into your job, then your team is going to be actively helping you out and making sure that you have all the information that you need. But let's say even if you're like three or four years into your job, right, Mm -hmm. you're still very junior compared to someone who's in that industry, who's been working in that industry for like 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. Is Is that ever a challenge or an issue? When you're working with the client. Yeah. I mean, the client will be like, well, you look like you just graduated. What do you want to talk to me about, right? You have to have the confidence to know that the work that you do is good and solid and present yourself in that way, right? I would say, generally speaking, the team would not send you off (laughs) to talk to the CFO four months into being a consultant, but it's a gradual process. You start communicating with clients that are either your peers or someone your team will will communicate uh, will actually be there to support you as you go through the meetings etc right you first of course need to establish yourself as someone with substantial values to offer a different perspective to provide and that's why they hire you they don't hire you because you have the same perspective as them and you know you're agreeable to them but you have a solid knowledge and analysis on what is going on. And that's why you're there to tell them about it, etc. Right, right. Okay. So this is clearly one challenge. Are there any other challenging aspects of working in consulting? In your opinion, of course. I think for me, consulting is a great career, but it could actually be quite demanding on your personal life just because you have to be away four days a week. This is more manageable as you climb up the ranks. But I think a lot of people struggle with, how do I deal with a project that's only four weeks long? And at the same time, my wedding is just around the corner, for example. Things like that happens, right? So you just need to be very good at managing your time, managing your team, and kind of setting expectations. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine work-life balance is not very easy in this profession. Yeah, I, I do think that the at least my experience is the firm has tried to create programs that would enable you to have a more balanced lifestyle. You need to talk to the firm even if there isn't an established program there to help you. So, for example, the mentor I was working with about a couple of years back, he decided that he needs to spend more time with his wife 
And so he told the firm, hey, you know, I need to be on local projects for the next one year. Mm -hmm. There isn't a special program for him to do that. But how can we make this work? And having that conversation usually helps. And he was actually able to stay local. That's a great idea. Yeah, I can imagine that because this is a project-based role, Mm -hmm. you you do have the flexibility in terms of what project do I take, which suits my needs better. Yeah, exactly. All right, this is great. So let's get to a little bit more on the recruiting side. Mm-hmm. So one quick question on something that you mentioned earlier in the interview, which is that you were first part of the Chicago office mm-hmm. and now you're in the San Francisco office. Mm-hmm. How do people select locations? It really depends on your personal preference, I would say. If you live in Atlanta and want to go back there, you can select the Atlanta office. Sometimes people go about selecting offices based on the affinity groups. So if you want to do more high-tech or PE-based work, maybe you pick up an office in San Francisco. If you want to do more energy, maybe you go to Texas. Some people select their home office based on that, but it's really a personal preference. Okay, okay. but there is so it's, it's personal preference, you know, where do you want to live? And, and also a little bit of what kind of industries can you find in which location? Okay, right. So let's get to the interviews then. Generally, what are the things that get tested in a consulting interview? Or what is a consulting company looking for in a consulting interview? Mm. Um, I think based on all that we've discussed so far, so they have the core capabilities, so Mm -hmm. analytical skills, the way you think, how you structure a problem, etc. So those are the core skills. And then you have, again, emotional intelligence, which might be a little bit more subjective when it comes to how does it get tested in the interview. And then, of course, communication. How do you present yourself? How do you talk? Those kind of things. I think those are the three key elements, I would say. Right, right. And I've heard that most consulting companies use case interviews. Yes, right? that's correct. You have behavioral and case. Right. So can you talk a little bit about the case interview? What is a case interview and then how do you prepare for it? So... Remember earlier earlier on we talked about the case challenge? Uh-huh. It is essentially solving a problem like that in a span of 20 minutes. <laughs> um, if you're a business analyst, for example. Essentially, it's a simplified case in order to test how you think uh-huh. um, and how you communicate as you think through the problem and how do you behave and act under stress. That's, in a nutshell, what a case interview is. You solve a problem that is being given by the person. Uh, you typically ask questions during the case so that the interviewer reveal more information for you to help to help you solve the case. Yeah, so do you have any tips on how a candidate can do well on a case interview? Practice. <laughs> um, that's the biggest, biggest thing um, to do as you go through the process. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable at the beginning because you'll be asking your friend to give you a case and then you have to act as if he's the interviewer and try to break down the case. But practice, practice, practice. There are a lot of sample case interview questions. Can Um, you name some resources which might be useful? uh, Off the top of my head, I think most consulting websites have their little cases on their websites. I think... So like you mean the company websites? The company websites itself. You can go to your school. If you're still in school, generally speaking, you have a consulting club. And if you have a consulting club, they typically have case packets. If not, you can go to your library 
and maybe get access to other schools' um, case packets. Okay. Are there any books which people generally tend to look at? I think that there are examples on how you uh, structure a case question or, or answer a case question on the vault guide, but I'm not too sure about that. I think that was okay. a few years ago. Okay. Um, but I can provide you with Yeah, we can look it up and we can include it in the show notes. Exactly. Okay, that'd be great. All right, so, so one is just the preparation for the case interview itself. Mm-hmm. And as you said, practice. Is there a good number of number of cases? And I'm sure it varies <laughs> a lot. But what is the typical number you've seen people do? Um, maybe 20. Mm-hmm. 20 to 30, you want to have enough case practice such that when you think through a problem, you very quickly can think of what relevant framework to use and how to break the problem down to solve it. Okay. But you don't want to have so many practices, so much so that when you're given a case and you're trying to solve the case, it becomes so sterile, the way you communicate it. So you want it to be natural. You still have yeah. to have that natural element of it. Okay. So you got your practice done, you know how to solve a case. How can you actually do well during the interview? I'm sure solving the case is like 80% of it. But as you said, uh, uh, like maybe 10 minutes earlier, that ask questions, you know, try and understand what is it that the interviewer is asking you. Anything else that you can do? Yeah, well, I mean, the case is pretty important, but it might not be 80% important because generally speaking, you still have behavioral interviews along with the case. You also have different opportunities to socialize with the people. So I would say most consulting firms, once you have gone through the final round, etc., you might have coffee chats, you might have a buddy that you talk to, you might have dinners with the managers or the partners. Take up those opportunities and start networking with them because you would also want, as you interview, as they interview you, you would also want to interview them. Mm -hmm. And this is a great opportunity to actually know if, there's a fit with the company's culture and will you thrive in that environment. So take up all those opportunities. Talk to as many people as you can. One of the things I would say is if you make a good impression during dinner, etc., your partners might pass along a good word about, you know, mm-hmm. Sonali that he has met over penne dinner or whatever it is. Okay, okay. Yeah, so taking advantage of all of those informal conversations mm-hmm. can actually go a long way. And is there a good way to apply? So as I can understand, clearly there is a a very structured campus recruitment process Mm -hmm. that most consulting companies will have. If you're in school, you can go through that process. Mm -hmm. But let's say that is not an option for you. Then what is a good way to apply? Let's say if you're in industry and you'll be an industry hire, you can always go to the websites and apply through the link. But I think... If you know someone who works in the firm, it might be better to have that person pass along your resume or ask the person that you know about what is a good recruiting timeline, etc. for people of your experience. I see. Is, is there a window when consulting firms tend to be on a hiring spree, so to say? In the school, yes. But I would imagine in industry, it would really depend on the business needs. So it varies. Okay. All right, cool. This is wonderful. Really, really helpful. Any parting advice for people who might be interested in this role, considering this role? Um, I guess keep an open mind. If you get a job offer in consulting and you decide to join consulting, keep an open mind because you learn a lot of different things that you might not expect to learn. For example, my Vietnam experience, I learned that I have to hire a driver. 
and I have to bring a translator with me everywhere I go. You know, things that you don't expect to learn outside of the core knowledge and capabilities. Be open to meeting people. I guess those are the three things I have. All right, sounds good. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. This was great. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs> so that was cool with a great account of what working in management consulting is all about. I hope you found today's episode helpful. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes. It is called Learn, Educate, Discover. As always, if you have any feedback to share with us or if you have suggestions on professions that we should include in our upcoming episodes, please do share your ideas with us. You can email us at learneducatediscover at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at LED underscore curator. Show notes from today's episode, as well as links to resources mentioned by Ko, will be posted to our blog. You can find our blog at medium.com forward slash at LED underscore curator. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next episode. Bye-bye.